Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. Mike Roth. I'm here today with uh, Matt Dieter, uh, the president of Dieter and Associates, an employee benefits and insurance specialist. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Let me give the folks a quick background on on who you are in the insurance industry. Matt, you've been in the insurance industry for over 16 years, specializing in employee benefits plus a secondary business liability and corporate risk management. Matt is an expert in identifying and implementing measurable, cost-effective, streamlined solutions for middle market companies. And we'll be talking about how people can do that today, Matt. He's also competent and experienced in large group business segment. His credentials are a chartered benefit consultant, or a CBC, and multi-state licensed for life and health, commercial, property, and liability insurance. Before we get, get into the rest of the show... I thought I'd bring our listeners up to date on some of the future guests. Tomorrow, we're going to have Erlen Russell from Tiger Stop. That's a company that manufactures and sells through distribution material positioning systems. It has nothing to do with Siegfried and Roy, but it's a great name. Next week on Thursday at 4 o'clock, the 17th, we're going to have Mount Mountain. His company is involved with implementation of Salesforce.com. How do you get your data into it? Or if you're leaving, how to get your data out. Next week on Friday, the 18th, we're going to have Greg Crowell. Greg is president and CEO of the Crowell Company. They're a commercial real estate development and operation company. They build office buildings and office parks. I think they have five of them now. Greg's a great guy, uh, and he'll tell, tell a great story. Show number 16 is going to be Robin Throckmorton. She owns a company called HR Strategies. She is HR business. She is like the outsourced HR person for a company. So if you have 10 employees and you don't want to have your own HR person, her company comes in and does as much or as little as you need. She'll be on on Thursday the 24th, on Friday the 25th. A real interesting guy. He's he's going to become a real Cincinnati legend, a guy named Greg Hardman. Greg is the owner of Brewing Brewing Company. He owns about... A dozen old Cincinnati brewing brands brews the beer down and over the Rhine and is the uh, managing partner of the Christian Moorline Lager House in the banks. So he's promising to be really interesting. For those of you who are interested in the advertising world, we're going to have Jody Schmidt-Gosseling. She is the president of Possible Worldwide, one of the country's largest advertising agencies. And the list goes on and on and on. I think I think we'll stop there. That's enough up, upcoming shows. Matt, again, thank you for for joining us here today. I'd like to ask a first question. Is you know, tell us how, tell us how you got to be commercial uh, business benefits uh, insurance agent and, and open your own company. Well, I uh, actually went to uh, school dreaming one day that I would be an insurance and, uh, and benefits broker. <laughs> I'm You're the kidding. son of a brand of right. program. No, that, not at all. Not at all. I actually uh, got in the business quite by accident back in 1995. 
working for a small property and casualty agency in Westchester, Ohio. I did that for a number of years and uh, worked with a lot of clients, built up a sizable book of business, and was lured away by uh, an ancillary lines insurance company. And I did that for several years. Mm -hmm. I was in turn uh, lured away by yet another ancillary lines insurance company and learned quite a bit about insurance companies and some of the inner workings. And so you worked which, on the inside of an insurance company? Two, I, two I, I did, I did. And uh, although it was on the employee benefit side, it was on ancillary lines, life disability, uh, dental, that really gave me, I think, an interesting uh, insight on, on how things on how things work. So uh, I decided after doing that for about six years that it was time for me to make a move and go out on my own and go back to the brokerage side because I really felt like I wanted to make a difference and uh, I got out of the business for a reason and I uh, really found a niche and I really enjoy what I do a great deal. How long ago was it that you uh, started your own agency? I've been on the agency side back uh, agency side about uh, eight years now. Well, that's a long time. Yeah. And uh, I know your office is over in Kentucky. Yeah. Do you do business on both sides of the river? I do. We're actually licensed in five states currently, Mike. Uh, we have a, a small office in Northern Kentucky, and we have an office uh, over near the Baldwin building, and that's where our general agency uh, is, and uh, that's where a lot of the administrative function happens, marketing and, and so forth. So I can understand three states, uh, Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Uh, where are the other two states coming from? Interestingly enough, and accidentally enough, Washington State and, and Florida. Oh, okay. Those are definitely contiguous with this area. Right. Yeah. <laughs> By airplane flights. Right. Okay, I understand that. So, we had a, uh, a couple of uh, questions emailed into us earlier today, and we're going to handle those. Uh, when you, when you talk about health insurance today, everything is, is under the cloud of uh, Obamacare and what the Supreme Court is going to do. But maybe you can give uh, our, our listeners a little bit of information on uh, deductibles and co-insurance and, co and co-pays and, and how that may effectively help small businesses handle the tremendous costs of, of health care for their employees? Sure. I, you know, deductible and coinsurance is one of the most commonly misunderstood parts of any group health or individual health insurance policy. I'd be happy to talk about um, the new health care laws and, and some of that, uh, but the day-to-day the -day things that are really affecting people are their deductible, their coinsurance, when they go to the doctor, when they go to the hospital, when they get uh, a recommendation to go have a test done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I talk to people every single day. I talk to CFOs, owners, I talk to some very intelligent folks who routinely call me and say, Matt, I know six months ago in that meeting you told me about deductible and coinsurance and how that works, but can you give me a refresher? Just had it happen the other day, an owner of one of my car dealerships uh, that, that we insure called me and asked that, that very question. And I said, uh, Tom, don't feel bad. I get that all the time. But... Uh, just real quick, your, your deductible on your plan is the first amount that you would pay for any deductible-related expenses. So if you go to the doctor um, and the doctor says, hey, I need, uh, Matt, I really want you to go have an MRI. I know your back's hurting you. Uh, go down here and have an MRI done to the hospital. Well, that's going to be, if you have a $1,000 deductible, it's going to be a $1,000 a day for you because the first thing you'll pay on outpatient testing, like uh, scans, CT scans, CAT scans, uh, uh, MRIs, it's going to be your deductible first. After now, you, is that deductible uh, per person, per family, or per year? There's always a per person deductible, Mike, but then there's a family deductible as well. So you're going to satisfy your, your individual deductible under that scenario. And then after that, you would go into the coinsurance phase. And it's usually, not on all plans, but most commonly we see a 20% coinsurance for the member or the employee in this case. In other words, the employee pays 20% and the plan pays 80%. That's correct. And then you would pay that 20% up to some maximum amount called your out-of-pocket, which includes your deductible mm -hmm. and your coinsurance. Now, that's typically for a calendar year, not always. It can be plan year, but I'd say 95% of the time it's set up on a calendar year. 
And once you satisfy that amount, then you're covered at 100% for the rest of that calendar year for any, anything that would So that would be like what I would call as a non-insurance professional major medical policy? Exactly. And, and we've begun, I've begun to use the term medical insurance because health insurance is kind of a misnomer. I mean, insurance, you know, it's, it's for medical expenses. And so you're, you're going to hear medical insurance probably more frequently. Um, you know, the one thing about the insurance business that you'll find is that, you know, uh, certain titles or names become unfashionable and, you know, they change it to something else. So, And it, and it gets confusing for uh, people approaching 65 and Medicare. It, it really between, does. Between... Uh, Medicare supplements and advantage plans. Sure, and that's a whole separate conversation. And I mean, we could do a whole show just on that. Well, let's not do that. Uh, the the copays that we were talking about for a test for a thousand dollars for an MRI uh, would that be applicable for uh, prescriptions as well? Well, and I gotta I gotta stop you right there because you said copay and. And again, it, it, the, copay is in my yeah, notes, the, yeah. the semantics matter because I don't want to confuse copay with coinsurance. Um, I like to try to explain this as, as simply as I can for the average person. Well, good. good. They, That's, what is the difference then between coinsurance and copay? Perfect question. The answer is simply this when you go to the doctor, you pay a copay. That's just to show up. Okay? Right. Uh, when you go to the hospital, you'll also pay a copay. Sometimes it's $200. But then you're going to go into your deductible amount and then your coinsurance amount. Mm-hmm. So a copay is what you pay to show up at, at a doctor or facility. Right. Usually twenty-five dollars for a, twenty-five dollars for a doctor's office visit, uh, fifty dollars for a specialist is a pretty common amount. And those copays never count toward your coinsurance or your deductible, so to confuse you further. But but those three things right there, those three things, if you can understand those, that will answer a lot of your questions regarding your health insurance. So there's a business owner who is or an HR person who is selecting the plan get to manipulate those uh, those levels of copay and deductibles to therefore raise or lower the premium amount per person? They do. Business owners will typically focus on deductible first because that's how most plans are structured. Um, there are a lot of variations that we can look at with regard to the deductible on any given plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, focusing on just the deductible alone or just the out-of-pocket totally per year or just the premium uh, is really more of a reactive way to look at it because deductible doesn't solve uh, health insurance issues. It doesn't solve cost issues necessarily. Uh, we really, and, and we can talk about this. No, if, you get, if, if your kid falls down and cuts his knee, you're going to the doc to get him stitched up. Sure. Preferably before you go to the emergency room. Yeah. Where the prices are twice as high. Well, and, and that's, that's the here and now. That's the, the, the end result of some event that happens. And so your deductible obviously would come into play there. But uh, we don't look at typically look at deductible as the solution to your health insurance cost as a business owner. Uh, you, you can't continue to throw deductible at the problem because where does it end? $5,000, $10,000, $100,000 deductible? So... Uh, we tend to look at more proactive solutions to incorporate, yes, your deductible is important, but let's look three years down the road. Let's talk about some solutions that will not simply focus on uh, the uh, the symptom, but the actual problem itself. Good. Let's talk about that when we come back from a short break. Let's listen to uh, David Sandler when he was talking to a group of uh, Sandler people, probably 10 years after the start of the business. My other goal, but this started back in 67, but I just reinforced it in 1984. I wanted to be with with a group of people like you. Entrepreneurs, accidents, wanted to make money, wanted to make a contribution, wanted to help other people. You know, they said that couldn't be done. You're living proof that that could be done sitting right in this room. You give yourselves a big hand. I wanted to be in a, in a, with an organization that really made a contribution to people. We were cleaning out our closets the other day, and we, I took down the Tony Robbins $179.50 course that we've never taken the cellophane off of. And Tony Robbins has a $10 million a month budget and a helicopter. 
but I don't think that helps a lot of people. And so what I found out when I was selling these boxes for that Texas group was that I wanted to service people. I wanted people to get, take, to get advantage of what they were buying. And so I said to them, after I started to figure this thing out, after two or three years, I said, you know, let me give you the box of tapes free. And what I'm really going to sell you is why don't you come and visit me at the Holiday Inn? It happened to be this one. Why don't you come and visit me at the Holiday Inn every other Thursday night for the next year? And let me make sure you're using what I sold you. And they did. And we used to have 250 people up the road here at the Marriott. This place, place couldn't handle it. We used to have 250 people every other Thursday night show up for training. And they brought 25 to 30 of their friends. And 90% of those people joined the President's Club. So you're living proof that this business can, can be multiplied. No question about that. Well, this is Mike Roth. We're back with uh, Matt Dieter. I must have my volume. There we go. I had the volume turned down too low. Let's pick up about where we left off, Matt. And we were t we had talked about co-deductibles, co-insurance. Um, what do you think the best things are that a business owner can do today that will help them when you put a, a long 36-month view? What kind of things should be, business owners be doing today? Well, there are some pretty clear things that we typically recommend to our groups uh, that they should look at. And first and foremost, if you're going to offer health insurance, and make no mistake, health insurance is a Schedule C expense, goes directly to the bottom line, costs you money as a business owner, mm -hmm. and it does nothing, does nothing except keep your good quality employees and attract good quality employees to your business. I take a very practical approach to this. I don't think that what I do is the end-all, be-all to what everybody needs and wants. Uh, I think it's a, a necessary solution because employers obviously um, are almost forced to provide employee benefits. And so if they're going to do that, why not look at the most economical and prudent way that an employer can do that? So uh, one of the things that we tend to look at first is, are you over-insuring? Are you over-insuring? Well, how, how could that be? Well, how that can be is that studies show time and time again, and I've got plenty of data on this that I'd be happy to share with anyone, that about 63 to 66% of people will never hit $500 a year in medical expenses. Now, you might think that's crazy. You might say, well, Matt, how can, how can that be? I went to the doctor the other day, and I knew it was more than $500. Well, I would say that if you go for an annual physical, an annual checkup, um, you're probably not hitting that number. And there are always exceptions to this in every group. Your group could be the group that 75% of your people go out and hit their deductible in any mm -hmm. plan year. But I'm talking about statistically, industry-wide, all over the country. Well, isn't that a function, too, of the age level of the people in your group? Certainly is. Certainly is. I mean, you can have an older demographic, and let's face it, as we get a little bit older, uh, stuff starts to break. And as it does, you know, you have more tests, you have more expensive things going on. And so, yeah, certainly if you have a group of a bunch of 40, 50-somethings uh, or older, then certainly that group is going to be running differently. We call it claims experience or utilization in the industry sure. uh, than a group that's younger. Yeah. For people in their 20s to think they're never going to die. Sure, sure. They never see the doctor. Most inexpensive groups to insure are uh, single males, you know, 18 to 26 years old because they're bulletproof. And so if you're an employer... That's one of the ways you can reduce your health insurance costs, but that's oh, yeah. not always practical, is it? Well, <laughs> you got other problems. There's a company down the road with those problems. Sure. Uh, don't want to talk about them. Uh, now, with health care reform uh, looming in the not-too-distant future, and we don't know which way it's going to go, is there any... Uh, general recommendation you could give to employers should they just should small businesses just wait and if health care comes in pay the penalty instead of paying for the individual insurance well that's the thousand dollar or ten thousand dollar question or whatever number you want to put on it because unfortunately we're seeing a lot of stagnation in the market right now I, I call it paralysis because employers have hunkered down they don't know what's going on 
uh, the states don't even really know what's going on because the states have been forced to uh, embark on creating these exchanges. Mm -hmm. The state of Kentucky, for example, it's uh, still in the legislature. Nothing's uh, been done completely yet. Uh, state of Ohio, there's been some bills uh, introduced, but uh, the ball is still on the field, but not necessarily moving down the field. So, um, as a result, everything is going to see with the uh, Supreme Court decision that's upcoming, as well as the uh, election results, to see if this thing's going to stick. But uh, if it does, clearly there are going to be some significant changes, some possible penalties for employers, uh, a lot of variables within those possible penalties. And so, um, again, we can get into the details on that. But what happens if it goes the other way? If it uh, goes back to, I guess, the, business the, as usual, if it were? You know, the, uh, the, the new Congress repeals the, the law or be the, uh, the Supreme Court throws the whole thing out and says start all over again. Yeah, I, I think that something should have been done, and, and I think we can all agree that something needs to be done because... Mm -hmm. um, you know, look, I'm, I'm no fan of insurance companies some days, and I'm an independent consultant. So I work for my clients. I don't work for an insurance company. There's a reason for that. Uh, there's a reason I went back into the business for myself. But well, That's an interesting point. Are you paid by the insurance companies or paid by the clients? Yeah, we, on small group, I'm very transparent about this. On small group, we are paid a commission uh, from the insurance companies directly. It is built into the rates. It's non-negotiable in most cases uh, on groups that uh, have fewer than 50 employees certainly less than 100 employees. And on 100-plus uh, groups, there is a standard commission that's issued, and then that can be uh, negotiated down to something less or something more. So, uh, you know, depending on the situation of the groups, we, we frequently will take less than a standard commission on a large group. Uh, but on a smaller group, it, it is what it is, so to speak. You can't really go direct with the insurance company like, you know, a Coca-Cola or a, some large corporation okay. where they go, they cut the broker out altogether, the consultant. So... Right. Um, and Coca-Cola is paying for two or three people in their HR department to do what the broker would, or agent would have done. At least, yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess to answer your question, what's going to happen with regard to, to health care and, and everything, I don't have a crystal ball, but uh, suffice to say that some changes need to happen. Um, there have been some changes with, uh, as of uh, this past year with uh, no pre-existing conditions allowed on children. Uh, no lifetime maximums on policies. It used to be seven million with some companies, for example. Now it's unlimited. Um, covered covering your kids up to age 26 and sometimes beyond. Um, those things beyond 26. Sure, sure. There's, How does that happen? Well, there's one carrier in, in the state of Kentucky, a uh, very well-known carrier, that they extended it a bit beyond and made it to age 28. So, um, you know, arguably a good thing. It, it can be a nice thing for. Uh, competitive advantage for that insurance company. Could be. Could be. Seems but, like it would increase the costs. Well, and, and you hit the nail right on the head. Again, it's uh, my, these things are all great and they sound great, but they come at a price. Uh, insurance companies are not in the business of losing money. Uh, they will not lose money, and they will pass that cost along to the consumer. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing some fairly significant increases. Um, I would say that some of the, at least some of that is due to the new mandates. It's insurance carriers probably hedging their bets, trying to build in for what they can't anticipate yet because they're picking up unknown claims, unknown risk. Again, I'm not defending insurance companies, but what you're seeing now with increases, if they weren't high enough before, is the unintended consequence of having to cover, of cover a lot of things that weren't necessarily built into their, their models. So if, we, if the, the law goes in as enacted, would all the uh, regulations being written by the health insurance secretary as opposed to Congress, what happens to the insurance companies? Do they go out of business? That's a great question because if you were forced now to operate on a 3% margin versus mm -hmm. a 5% margin, now you have government dictating what you can make as a private company. Again, I'm not defending insurance companies. But if someone came into Sandler and said, Mike, you can only operate on a 3% margin now. By the way, you can only pay your employees so much money. And uh, by the way, you're going to have to pick up a whole lot of overhead because we think that you should have different kinds of desks and chairs and a different storefront. Um, you're going to have to probably make some changes. And I would guess that you might have to raise your prices or pass that cost along. Well, if, if that ever happened... Uh probably half or three-quarters of the Sandler guys in the country with banned and ship. 
Yeah. And we'd sell insurance. And and you would be left with a single payer system. So you can kind of make the uh, the deduction there of of you know whether some of this was by design or not, but it's going to be increasingly difficult for I think private insurance companies to compete in in that kind of an environment. Okay. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, how you go to how do you, how you go to market? How do you find your prospects? Sure. We uh, are appointed with every major carrier in the Midwest region and beyond in mm -hmm. other states. Anybody who's an A or A plus rated carrier, we do business with. For group health insurance, we have five or six key insurance markets uh, carriers in Ohio and Kentucky. It's a little more limited. We have effectively three. We have another one that's that's questionable because they just typically aren't competitive, but you know we get surprised sometimes. So uh, the way that we treat our groups at renewal is the same way we treat our groups when we initially consult with them, and that is we're going to take you to market every single year, whether you ask us to or not. We're going to treat you like we're glad to have you as a customer, and we're going to earn the business each year because the last thing I'd want to do is get, uh, get caught asleep at the wheel and not market one of our groups. usually going to deal with me personally on the renewal process, mm -hmm. and uh, we have uh, a pretty, pretty significant collective attention with these carriers, meaning that because of the number of groups that we have uh, through our general agency alliance, about 5,500 small groups with 30,000 employees and about 200 large groups with up to 40,000 employees, uh, that tends to get the attention, as much attention, if you will, as any uh, national consulting house. And so you're going to reshop for insurance each one of your existing clients? Sure, sure, you have to because the markets change. And I've always said, and I learned this from the, being on the, on the insurance company side, sometimes the faucet's on and the faucet's off. Mm -hmm. And uh, insurance companies will have a different appetite for new business from one year to the next, and sometimes in between renewals. And so it's important to sometimes shop off renewal to take a look at that if there have been some changes with one carrier versus another. And when we get those rates, those marketed rates from each prospective carrier, we always go back to the incumbent carrier uh, because we – the group was with that carrier for a reason and made mm -hmm. a decision. And so it's important to give that incumbent carrier basically the last look and say, hey, do you want to keep this business? And if they do, here are the numbers. Here's what the market says. We can make a move to carrier X over here instead of uh, this carrier. And uh, typically we can leverage that uh, to buy down the renewal rate. And what we do for our clients is show them year after year and over even a five-year claims, or not a claims trend, but a, a renewal trend history to show where your renewals came in at, where we negotiated those renewal rates down to, and I would say about 95 to 98% of the time, there is a significant reduction in what the renewal came in at and what it got negotiated down to. And so those carrier relationships, having face-to-face -face access and meetings with underwriters from each carrier, to present your group's individual strengths is a pretty powerful tool. And what that translates into, Mike, is uh, savings in real dollars to each one of our clients. Okay. Uh, let's take a, a short break here, Matt, and uh, we'll hear a message about Sandler training. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Well, this is Mike Roth. I'm back here with Matt. Uh, Let's take that question about how you go to market one step further. When, when, I, when we train people in the insurance business, it's always about taking over uh, 
groups of business, and there's just a small number of companies that come into business in any year and have a substantial number of employees, you know, maybe five or ten. So how do you go after uh, groups that are held by a another agency? What don't you? Well, you know, I've got a lot of friends in this business and mm-hmm. I've made friends over the years, and uh, I like to keep it that way. But on occasion, uh, we will have groups that are, for whatever reason, unhappy with their current situation, and they go out to market, and sometimes they do it just to to make sure that they're getting the best deal. And I always tell our clients and prospective clients that, look, I expect that you're going to shop me at least every couple of years, three years. I don't care if I'm your best golf buddy, your uncle, your nephew, your friend, your neighbor. I expect that you're going to do what's best for you because that's what people do. That's what mm-hmm. I do. When I go out shopping, I want to make sure I'm getting the best deal. I do my research, and I make a decision based on a number of factors, including how I feel about the potential relationship. So I think value comes into play. So to answer your question. So that, that, that's interesting for those people who are listening who are saying on the train or in our president's club. What Matt just gave us was the buyer's system of buying, which gives the advantage to the buyer. Now, people, I think we're all kind of inherently selfish, aren't we? I, I try well, to you, think of, you're, you're dealing with a complex product. Uh, you know, for me, insurance is a complex product. It's easier to compare one guy who wants $1,000 a month and another guy who wants $800 a month. Well, they look more or less the same. They're reasonably secure insurance companies. Well, obviously, the $800 policy is the best policy to go with. Well, and more commonly what we see, Mike, is that groups have become pretty savvy. They, they kind of know the game, and, and I get this all the time. Well, you're going to get the same rates from these carriers as my current broker, right? Sometimes, yes. Not always. Uh, I can think of a case with a mortgage company where uh, the group filled out electronic applications, and the only downside to filling out those electronic applications, which has become increasingly popular, it's less work for the broker, less work for the insurance company, arguably more work for the group. It locks the group into the relationship with that broker, though, because now the group can't get access to the applications. Well, they can. It's just a little difficult. But in this particular case, what we did was we got access. We took those applications, contacted uh, the ones, that the individuals that completed them, that where some of the information was suspect, where I, where I was seeing what's called, I call it self-diagnosis. Um, it's, yeah, I've got arthritis in my neck. Well, have you been medically diagnosed with that arthritis? Well, no, but my mom had it and my grandmother had it, so I know I've probably got it. Well, but have you been medically diagnosed with it? And uh, as a consequence, they write that down. And underwriters are just trying to keep their job. And when underwriters see things like that, they automatically want to apply a rate or a price to that. Sure. I've, I've, I've had that experience myself. Yeah. So, you know, we I, I have a due diligence, uh, both ethically and, and legally, to provide my, my carriers, that, for whom I write, with uh, accurate information. And we would never suggest that you put down anything other than the truth, because that can come back to get a claim denied or to come back to bite you. So, But in this particular case, the group was with a broker, had the applications filled out. I personally took the case to... Uh, the president mm-hmm. of one of the local insurance companies here in Cincinnati. I said, hey, can we get a second look at this group because you've got inaccurate information. turned out that we saved the group almost 40% on their rates as a result. So 40%, that's big numbers. Big deal. It was tens of thousands of dollars in this case. So, um, you know, do all brokers get the same rates? Well, if we're all quoting the same exact information, same exact companies, yeah, I'd say that's a fair statement. But rarely do I see that as the case. So, you know, your question earlier about do I take business from other brokers? Well, sure. I mean, that's how we get business a lot of the time. Uh, you know, companies will go out to market and look at different brokers and, and make a decision, just like I would if I were going to buy a new car, you know, a flat screen TV. Well, sure. There's no there's no difference between uh, a Mercedes you buy down here in Cincinnati, you buy it in Lexington or Louisville or maybe even Westchester. Yeah, but sometimes you're willing to drive to Louisville because the service that you got down there was just that much better, right? Maybe. Yeah. So It's all about service. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to take a, a question that came in by email from a fellow named Martin. Uh, what is the economic impact of illegal aliens on our health care system? And, you know, maybe if you can address it just to our particular region, because 
in California or Texas, it might be substantially different. Sure. Well, I grew up in, in Florida. I spent 30 years down there in Orlando, so that was the quintessential melting pot, much like California. We had a lot of different folks from a lot of different places uh, immigrating to the U.S. I don't have any, I wasn't really prepared for a detailed answer on that question because I think you'll you'll find a lot of different information on something like Isn't that. Isn't that just a, a regional situation? I, it could be. Um, you know, it, it's going to vary, obviously, by state where you have um, more immigrants living. Uh, and, you know, you've got the whole question of are these first-generation first immigrants or are they third-generation immigrants? But uh, what I've experienced personally uh, in different states is that for, for whatever reason, other countries don't seem to utilize health care or health insurance, for that matter, the way that we do. In a lot of cases, they don't have health insurance. And so, and this is anecdotal, of course, but you could make the case that perhaps, you know, immigrants, depending on where they're from, might not be utilizing health care much at all unless it's a hospital visit. Mm -hmm. So uh, if those folks, folks hypothetically were paying into a plan, or some type of system, but not utilizing that, that plan fully, then, uh, you know, I suppose you could... That would be you know, a good thing for the plan. That would be a good thing for the plan. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, let's, let, let's go to another question. Uh, how about high-deductible uh, plans? Are they altering the habits of consumers and the pr medical practitioners? Yeah, w one of the best things that I've seen as a result of HDHP plans or high-deductible health plans... Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of acronyms that get thrown around in this business. But yeah, we have a rule here at Sandler that we don't throw an acronym or three-letter uh, abbreviation unless we explain it first. High deductible health plans, yeah. in plain English, are HSAs, which are health savings accounts, right? 125. Yep. HRAs, which are health reimbursement arrangements, which we could do again do a half a show just on that. Is that 105? That's Section 105. HSAs are actually governed by 105 as well, and that's Section 105 of the IRS tax code. Uh, but those types of plans are a great tool to empower people. Um, if you understand those plans, you are rarely disappointed. I've never had a single person or a client come back to me and say, Matt, I really don't like this HSA thing. I hate it. Never had it happen once. I think that's for a reason, but... Yeah, it has altered the way that people are utilizing their, their health insurance and their health care because um, it's forcing them to now spend a good portion of their own money up front. And so they're making some different buying decisions. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you touched on HSA, health savings account. Can that roll over from one year to the other? It can. And that's one of the benefits of, of a health savings account. Is that account. new? Um, no. The HSA has been around for at least... Uh, probably about 10 years now. Yeah. Um, we've been talking about... But I thought at the end of the year, if you didn't spend the money you had in the HSA, it went away and it went, went into the employer's pocket. That's a, that's a common misunderstanding. And what you just referred to, Mike, is uh, a Section 125 cafeteria plan. Um, Section 125 plan that you would get through your employer. Mm -hmm. You can put money in that account. Pre-tax money. Yeah, it's flex spending account is another name for right. it. And it's pre-tax, sure. But if you don't spend it by the end of the year, then you lose it. It's, it's a use it or lose it provision. Uh, it can work. It's great for daycare expenses. I've used those plans myself in the past. And that's a good way to sock away, uh, you know, you know, $1,000, $1,200 a month sometimes for daycare expenses. But that's not at the HSA that you were talking about that can roll over. Not at all. It's completely different. In fact, the So HSA, tell us how, how the HSA works. Yeah, the HSA or health savings account Rather than being an employer-owned solution, it's an employee-owned solution. So if you put money into your HSA account each year for the purpose of funding your upfront medical expenses up to some given amount, which is your deductible, that money you put in uh, can roll from year to year, will roll from year to year. I talked to one person a couple of weeks ago. She has literally thirty about $35,000 in her HSA account. That's unusual. I don't see that very often. Most so someone puts $1,000 a year for 35 years. Uh, is that money withdrawable? It is. When you turn prior to age 65, mm -hmm. you have to use it for uh, what are called 213D eligible expenses. Yeah. Uh, this is, again, IRS 
rules. Right, right. But, but you're but an insurance agent. Now there's, well, I, Explain I, that in English for the folks. Yeah, because I mean, one day I'm an insurance agent, the next day I'm a pharmacist, the next day I'm an IR, you know, IRS professional, it seems, in this business. But um, the, the list of eligible expenses is published by the IRS. Mm-hmm. That tightened up as a result of health care reform. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're not seeing some of the uh, eligible expenses that we did in the past. But, yeah, the money will definitely roll from year to year. Prior to age 65, you can use it for those eligible expenses. And then after age 65, as the law is currently, you can begin using that money for premium payments for things such as long-term care policies or maybe some uh, Medicare supplements or things of that nature. So it it does expand. So if someone was healthy and in their working career achieved $35,000 in the NHSA account, when they hit 65, they could use some of that money to pay for long-term care insurance? Sure, yeah, and, and that's as it stands currently. Who knows what's going to change? But, um, you know, as it stands now, it's I know people that are using that as a, a type of medical retirement account, if you will, and it is tax-free money, 100% tax-free, uh, up to a, a cap. Like when in 2013, I think it's uh, 32, uh, see 32.50 for an individual, 6.450 for a family that you can uh, accumulate in those in those plans. Uh, we don't see people max out very often unless they know they're going to hit their deductible every given year, which happens in some cases. A lot of people will use the account just as kind of a passive account. They will pay for the medical expense or the doctor visit when they go. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they should do at that point, if they did pay it out of their own pocket and didn't write it out of their, their HSA checking account, they should reimburse themselves later with a check from that account. You're allowed to do that. So if you're in a pinch where you have to pay for the doctor visit. So I'm at the doctor's office right now. Yeah. You write the check to the doc, and then you reimburse yourself out of your HSA. Yeah, yeah. And, and understand that the, the IRS uh, HSA police are not going to come knocking on your door necessarily. The only time this really matters uh, and you might want to talk to your CPA about this, but if you get audited, okay, mm-hmm. the adjuster or the auditor is going to sit down. They're going to say, uh, oh, Mike, I see that you have a health savings account here. Can you show me uh, where your medical expenses are filed on the appropriate form because you would have to attach that form to your tax return? Now, if the HSA is owned by the employee, who administers that account? The employee is in charge of their own bank account. And, and keep in mind, at the age of, there, there are two components here. There's the plan, mm-hmm. the high deductible health plan, which is the H, HSA plan itself that the insurance company provides via the employer. Mm-hmm. You can also have one of these plans yourself. So the employee plan. might pay a, co- a premium for that with his employer. Correct. And I, I like to refer to that as the rent on the plan. You're okay. going to pay the rent for some high deductible plan. Right. Your, your employer chooses the deductible, or you choose it yourself if you're an individual on an so individual plan. So I choose plan. $10,000 deductible okay. to get a low premium. Yeah, exactly. You buy down your premium with a very high deductible. And then I make a deposit into this health savings account? You, you every should. paycheck? You should. And, what and that's a, a, a checking account that I, as the employee, control? Sure. You can go down to any one of the banking institutions here in town they, and just walk in and say, Hi, I'm Mike Ruff. I'm Matt Dieter. I want to open up an HSA bank account. Uh, the bank account is, it doesn't know whether it's a checking savings or it, it's just a, another account that you would have, just like mm-hmm. a checking your savings account. You usually get a debit card with that, and you can use it accordingly. Okay, and then we can use that at the, at the doctor. And if we break the $10,000 uh, limit on the uh, deductible, then the catastrophic insurance that I bought through my employer kicks in. Correct, correct. And most commonly what I see, Mike, are usually... Uh, plans that are in the $2,500 to $5,000 deductible range. I, I haven't seen a lot of $10,000 deductible HSA plans yet. I think people's risk tolerance, even though a lot of times it might be unfounded. If you're not in a position to fund $10,000 in expenses, then mm-hmm. it might not be a sound decision for you and your family. But yeah, you have to be in our sandwich sales training program, and you're making three or $400,000 a year. The 10000 is nothing. You know? That's exactly right. It's just chump change. Let's take a, a quick break for a, a sandwich commercial. Well, we'll listen to a Sandler rule, I think. Rule number 11.
Hi, this is Matthew Newberger with Sandler Training, and I'm here to share Sandler Rule Number 11, Money Does Grow on Trees. Now, if you were to think conceptually for a second, there are three main components to this. One is, is you have to grow your referral network so you don't start from scratch every time you want to develop a client. Two, you have to build branches onto your referral tree. And third, you have to water that tree to keep it healthy. So, the reality today is that it is really hard to start the sales process over and over again from scratch. And there really is a better way. Most of us know it, we just don't follow it. So if you can imagine for a second taking a piece of paper, drawing a vertical line down the center and putting a horizontal line at the bottom, this would be the base of your tree. Every time you add a client, you are adding a branch to that tree. Each branch can sprout more branches. This becomes your referral tree. Somebody who's a professional at what they do understands the simple concept that every time they add a customer, they ask that customer for a referral. And when they get that referral, the next thing they do is they make sure that they take that referral from cool to warm based on their relationship with their existing customer. They take that opportunity, they close that opportunity, they ask for another referral. They take that referral, build off the relationship with the client, and take that referral opportunity from cool to warm to hot. And it's actually something that's really great to see. You watch this tree blossom and you watch this salesperson blossom as well into a very mature professional salesperson. Remember, money does grow on trees. Referral trees. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Well, this is Mike Roth. I'm back here with Matt Dieter. Matt, why don't you tell some of the people who are listening how they can get in touch with you, because I think we left that out earlier. Okay, a great way to get in touch with me uh, directly is through my local phone number, 859-360-0282. Again, that's 859-360-0282. Uh, you're more than welcome to visit us on our website. I will tell you that it's currently under some revisions, so if you get a funny screen, that is why. But it's www.dearinsurance.com. Good. During the break, Matt and I were talking about the type of Sandler client that we have a lot of. These are 100% commission salespeople. They're uh, sometimes working as a manufacturer's rep. Sometimes they're covered by their company's insurance. Sometimes they have to buy individual coverage. Uh, what kind of things do you think these folks should be looking for? Well, who, who are I'm going to call them high high earners. They're making more than $75,000 a year. Not, not unusual to hit uh, a couple of hundred thousand or more. Sure. Uh, you know, the key thing, Mike, is health conditions. And, and unfortunately, the, the current status of the insurance market, particularly the individual insurance market, is not really set up to deal with people with health conditions. And so those folks, and when I say health conditions, there, there are exceptions to that, but serious health conditions like uh, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, an ongoing heart condition, cancer, things of that nature, those folks are almost always going to do better on a group plan because federal law states that you have to be accepted onto a group plan um, without pre-existing conditions applying. Uh, it's a, a bit of a misconception. People think pre-existing conditions uh, are a big deal, and, and they can be in the individual market. Those folks that don't have access to a group health plan are certainly in a tough spot sometimes. Um, I do know the, uh, the average group health premium right now on group health plans on any given employer throughout the country, about $450 per month for a single, 
uh, and about $1,250 per month for a family. I get a lot of people to call me and say, Matt, what, what would an individual plan cost me? Uh, they don't realize that their family coverage, instead of the $600 that they might be paying, mm-hmm. is actually costing more like $1,250 because their employer is subsidizing some portion of that. And that's that's when people get really surprised by the uh, COBRA plans, the plans that they buy when they leave a company. Yeah, and that's that's a great topic that we could spend some time on too. But real real quickly, the COBRA premium isn't more than the premium ever has been. It's only more than what the employee has been paying. The COBRA premium is actually the exact same amount plus a very nominal administrative fee, which usually amounts to a, a few bucks, um, typically under $15 a month. But it's the amount that the insurance company is charging the employer and has been charging all along. You as the ex-employee is just now responsible for paying the entire amount. So as an employee, they were paying 50% and the company was paying 50%. And as a ex-employee on the COBRA, yeah. pay 100%. Yeah. And a lot of people don't uh, That's a big have, kick in the head. It is. It is. Especially when you're without a job. I mean, it, it couldn't come at a worse time, right? Right. So, so those folks have a couple of choices. They can either... Uh, pay the COBRA premium until they get hired at a new job, or they can decide that, you know, hey, I, I want to fire my insurance company, my group insurance company for this COBRA premium. I want to go out in the individual market. I will tell you that for healthy individuals, particularly younger healthy individuals, uh, south of 40 years old, not uncommon to see rates under $100 a month for, you know, 30-year-old men. Really? Yeah. Uh should that person who's paying 100 bucks a month become employed with a company that has a plan uh, because everyone gets older, or almost everyone gets older, uh, should he keep that individual plan in place in addition to the plan that he gets through his employer, or is that not done? Uh, I'm going to give you a complex answer to a complex question. But we love complex solutions to complex <laughs> problems. Um, I, I have employer groups that they, they really would prefer to keep their younger folks on their group plan because it helps to stabilize the rates for some of the older folks on the plan. And, you know, the whole premise of insurance is that the premiums of the many pay for the claims of the few. So it, it arguably is a good thing to have younger, healthier people on your group health plan. It spreads out the risk. As sure. Well. However, if you're a younger person and your rate is $400 a month because you're on a plan with a bunch of old guys, you know, how fair is that sometimes, right? So, you know, it would probably benefit that person to maybe consider an individual policy and pay, you know, 80, 90, 100 bucks a month, sometimes even a little less, uh, for a sometimes a comparable plan. And so it's a tough decision because, you know, if the employer is paying most of the bill, then there really isn't much incentive for that employee to go out and look for coverage elsewhere. But if the employer is only paying half, you get to a certain age, whether it's 40 or 50, it seems like we're encouraging people to do the wrong thing for the group. Yeah, yeah, and, and what happens sometimes is we'll, we'll actually see groups where the rates have just become so unaffordable that the plan will just literally implode. It gets to a point where only the people who have health conditions, serious health conditions, stay on. You'll end up with a group that was maybe 20 or 30 employees. You have six people left. And the rates just become so ridiculously unaffordable that the plan collapses, and then you know those folks are left with nothing. So, it's important to again not, like I said in the beginning of the conversation, not to be reactive and wait until the plan gets to that point, but rather to uh, to manage those folks who are retiring, coming off the plan, see if there are other options available to them, maybe Medicare, uh, maybe disability, uh, maybe writing them on their own individual plan. If there are a lot of that, but uh, to not wait until it gets too late, because I can prom- you, promise you that you reach critical mass and it never gets better from that point. Uh, I've heard a lot of uh, ads on the radio by other agencies promising l- low rates on individual health plans. Do you think that's the truth? Well, it, it certainly is the truth for healthy, younger individuals. But someone who's over 40 years of age and has a condition or two, uh, that's not not going to be the case. Well, I can tell you from personal experience. I personally am on an individual plan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's myself and my two children. Uh, it's with a very well-known car- uh, carrier, national carrier, that all of you would recognize. My premium is a little less than $300 a month. Some people would say that's pretty darn affordable. Other people who don't want the insurance at all, don't need it, don't want it, 
they say three hundred dollars is a lot of money, but I can tell you that for uh, an employee child rate, and I'm forty-seven years old, uh, I can tell you that my group rate ought to be somewhere in about the six to eight hundred dollar range. So it can be said that in my case, certainly, uh, and I do have a, a couple of things in my medical history, not anything terribly serious, but most people do. Yeah, yeah, especially when you're when you reach this age, you know, like I said, things start to break. But uh, as a result. Yeah, it, it certainly benefited me to, to have an individual plan. So, uh, again, we don't look at just one solution for one client, for every client, rather. We, we tend to uh, look at every case and every situation differently and make a recommendation, not, what's, not on what's best for, for me, mm -hmm. for us, but what suits the client's needs. So you're taking and, the advocacy uh, role for the clients. Absolutely, absolutely. Mike, I... I I don't treat my, my three employee groups any differently than I treat my two and three hundred life groups. Uh, and I honestly mean that because uh, most of our business these days is based on referral, and I never know where my next referral is coming from. Mm -hmm. And I've been shocked and surprised sometimes where my referrals actually come from. They're not always from where you think. Uh, yeah, I, I've noticed that. We do a lot of uh, work here at, at Sandler on teaching people how to get more referrals and take it take the randomness out of the whole process. And, uh, in fact, you're sitting here today because of one of the processes. I think we, we met on LinkedIn. It, it was a referral, basically. Referral on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. it was not only LinkedIn, but a, a personal referral testimony, a combination of both advertising uh, on radio, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and then a couple of folks that I had talked to about Sandler and about Mike Roth. And so that uh, put the two of us together, and it's a perfect example of how it works, right? Yeah. That's the way things work today. You really have to have uh, some type of a web presence. You said you were you were revising your website. Yeah, yeah, we're making some changes to it, we're trying to make it uh, a little uh, less stuffy and insurance-like. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, made myself a personal commitment years ago when I got into this business that I didn't want to be the typical insurance guy. Um, you know, there's a lot of acronyms, a lot of complication, a lot of things in this business that I think frustrate people. And I don't know whether it's by design or whether it's just a disconnect between insurance companies and the average person. But uh, if I can put a, a real-world face on uh, what is, you know, arguably a necessity for business owners and individuals, then that's what we really, what we really strive to do, is to explain things in plain English, make the pain go away, give you an economical solution to fit your needs. Yeah, we like to say that people buy from people who they like and trust. And although you can get a price on the Internet for a life insurance policy, I certainly can't trust them. Well, I mean, if something uh, goes... You're, you're going to have an 800 number to call. I always tell folks that if the buck stops with me. That, it, that ends in the Philippines. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and those people can read the screens, but they have no, no idea what's happening. No. Now, if, uh, if, if you have a problem with uh, your business, your family situation, if you're an individual and you're a client, uh, my, my phone is always uh, available and uh, my door is always open. Give, you, give, give the folks your uh, phone number one more time. Phone number again is 859-360-0282. Again, 859-360-0282. Uh, the consultation is absolutely free, no commitment. And if we can help you in any way, shape, or form, uh, give you any information that might uh, help you grow your business in a more efficient and lean way, we'd be happy to do that. That's good. I'm going to give you, uh, Matt, a copy of Sandler's new book, Sandler's Success Principles, 11 Insights to, uh, to Change Your Business. If you haven't bought a copy on Amazon, it's a number one bestseller there. Please pick it up. Scott, take it away. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.